Hey, everyone, just one quick thing before we jump into the episode today. You know, I've been so grateful for just the opportunity to put this podcast out and have it so well received with obviously a lot of the great guests that I've had on, but also the listeners that, you know, have shared feedback and insight and, you know, have gotten some good value out of this where I've heard some stories of, hey, you know, I took that nugget and, you know, that helped me on my own journey. So it's really cool. And, you know, as I breeze past 100 episodes and kind of keep putting, you know, the logs on the fire, if you will. Um, I'd love to connect with more people, more listeners, hear more about your journey. I mean, just be a sounding board if you need to, to chat about things that are going on in your world. Um, and so what I've done is on my website, if you go to brianondraco.com, there's a drop down on the contact page for a 15-minute call. Go ahead and submit that in and I'll get back in touch with you and we'll schedule a Zoom call and just really chat about anything. No agenda, no obligation. I'm not going to throw your email on a newsletter that you're going to get every day. People that have listened in know I'm very open and direct and transparent. There's no hidden agendas with me. Um, I just want to meet more people. I love connecting and I love the opportunity to hear what other people are doing, kind of what inspired them to go about and kind of take that next step in their journey and get over that fear and outside their comfort zone and all that stuff. Um, so it's just really cool to meet up. So anyways, if you want to do that, brianondraco.com, contact page, 15-minute call, submit that in, and uh, look forward to connect with you guys soon. All right, now let's get on to the episode. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Awesome to have you here for episode 103, where I bring on Brendan Elliott as my guest today. He's the executive director of the Little Linksters Association for Junior Golf Development. It's a 501c3 nonprofit, and also director of instruction for the Little Linksters Golf Academy. He just has this passion, this mission for really helping the youth, um, you know, young golfers, junior golfers, not only just get entered in the game of golf, but teach them the life lessons, um, learning through golf that can help them in a variety of other areas. He's just a really good dude. I've known him for about 12 years. Um, you know, I love what he's doing with, gosh, he's got a podcast now. He does the peewee golf swing stuff that has really helped him with the Little Linksters Association. We talk a little about that during the episode. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy the conversation. Some of the depths we go, not only just in nonprofit, but really around some of his journey and some of the things he had to navigate ultimately to get him to where he's in today. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know I did. Um, so without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Brendan Elliott. Let's get it started. Brendan, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Brian. It's good to talk to you. I'm excited to get back in touch with you. I know, gosh, we met probably, what, dozen years ago or so. Yeah. Uh, at the PJ show. And obviously connected through the, the golf industry. Um, so I want to get and learn more about what you're doing now. And, and really maybe if you, obviously going back many years and kind of how you started out. Because I think that's so valuable for a lot of folks. Um, you know, my curiosity is around, I want to jump right into it, the deep end if we can. Sure. So you set up your business as, now you have a for-profit and non-profit, am I right on that? We do, yeah. The yeah. way you set up Little Linksters, okay, cool. I want to peel back the layers on why you did it that way, and then specifically maybe, like, why was there, because I look at it now, a lot of businesses are set up as, you know, they'll do like a, 
a social impact mission or kind of have yes. that with their for-profit. You yes. decide obviously have two legs to it. Can you explain why you decided to do that when you started off? We'll start there. There's numerous reasons why, why we went that route. Originally, when we started the whole concept of Little Linksters, nonprofit wasn't in the picture. We, we had consulted with uh, a franchise consultant, believe it or not. Actually, let me back up. Before that, um, right after we released our coloring book and had some legs with our program, uh, we actually had a meeting with Annika Sorenstam and her husband, Mike, about what we wanted to do. And it was real too early in the game. I felt, you know, as I look back, I felt like somebody going on Shark Tank because <laughs> it was Annika and Mike, uh, her husband, and, you know, hall, Golf Hall of Famer. And we just weren't ready to, to go, you know, something, with, something that had scale. Um, so we, we knew what we wanted from a mission standpoint. We wanted to break down barriers that may exist with junior programming. Uh, and those barriers being the more than anything, the economic side. And as time went on, we had jumped into the socioeconomics, you know, uh, race and, and different things where kids weren't just being, they weren't being exposed to golf. So we knew early that that's what we wanted. The franchise route, just not that there's anything wrong with franchises. One, it's super crazy expensive to get stuff up and going uh, with that model. Is it successful? Yeah, you see it. You see like TGA, Total Golf Adventures, they're very successful and they branched off into other sports and they do, they do very well from a business standpoint. But for our mission, we felt like going the route of nonprofit had a better message behind it uh, that we weren't in it for the money. And that's never been the driving force. Uh, but once you get in there and start running a program th through a nonprofit and you're set up, it's, it is a business in, in the fundraising aspects are it's, it's crazy. It's difficult and it's become more and more difficult. But again, we are set up under, we're, we're a subordinate organization underneath the Amateur Athletic Union, AAU. Um, and we did that uh, for several reasons. Uh, one of the biggest reasons was insurance, believe it or not. That was the one thing that turned us on. We pay a fee uh, to be a subordinate uh, nonprofit under the nonprofit of Amateur Athletic Union, uh, much, much cheaper. I think we pay 300 and something dollars a year. But through that, our insurance is taken care of for the kids, for my instructors, for any volunteers that we have. And when we were, you know, initially when we we're starting to try to scale and looking at different costs and insurance was a big cost, it was crazy. Like just, just my instructors alone, and none of them are PGA, as you know, as a PGA member, you're insured through your membership. It's one of the benefits we have. But to ensure some of my other instructors, even if they were part-time doing one or two classes, you still had to have them covered. And the rates were, they were ridiculous. So that's one of the reasons why we went the AAU route and going the nonprofit route altogether was mission-based. With that said, there's a lot of things we did not know as we went in as yeah. a nonprofit. There's the fundraising thing is the biggest thing for sure. 
Well, and I want to get into that, definitely the fundraising side of it, because I don't think you can sustain a nonprofit without, you know, fundraising, right? And continuing that up. Um, Yeah, because you mentioned the coloring book. I remember that back in the day, right? That was kind of the the genesis, I guess, of it. You had that, because my whole thing too is before we even get to this, and just for for folks to realize, I mean, you're a PJ professional. I mean, you're kind of skilled in a lot of areas, but really instruction, right? Mm -hmm. And teaching you could have done like what most people do is you're kind of your own independent contractor and you teach out of a facility and, you know, have your book of business and and then kind of go from there. Yeah. Why did you decide though, before we jump into this even deeper, why did you even decide to make this bigger than it was? I know you said you had a mission to kind of break down these barriers and include juniors more, but you could have done that just by setting up some, some programs yourself at a, at a local club. To, to get to that point, I got to backtrack a little bit. So when I moved down to Florida in 1996 from New York, up near where you're from, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, I went the traditional route. I, I worked at a private club when I first moved down here for two and a half years. And then I moved to a muni club as an assistant, eventually took over as the head pro. I was at that, that club for 13 years. But it was a nine-hole muni, no practice area. I did teach on the side, uh, but it wasn't the bulk of my job. Um, And I bounced around from different ranges to do instruction. Eventually we built a practice area in my backyard, uh, synthetic green and everything. And I had people come to the house to do lessons. So it was kind of a non-traditional route that I went. And it just got to a point where I started doing the programs at daycares and that's where I'm getting with, with your original question is, you know, we started at the daycare my daughter was going at at the time and we were visiting a bunch of daycares and nobody was offering golf. They were offering the traditional things that kids get exposed to super early, soccer, t-ball, but then they were doing some more advanced non-sports stuff like computers and foreign languages. And, and I'm like, why is golf not part of this? And, and as I, started researching in that I noticed that golf has never historically been part of that at three four and five years old so no wonder we were struggling as an industry to keep up with some of the other sports because the kids uh, think of this if you if you're if you're a three or four year old and you're exposed to soccer and when you're six or seven and you played soccer all the way up through it's it's a norm same with baseball or t-ball but as you get six, seven, eight years old, when golf has traditionally been and historically been introduced to kids, it's it's very foreign to them. And, and at those ages, they're already into other sports. So part of the reason why we really looked at this hard to and try to expand it is kids were not being exposed to golf at the same ages that they were to other sports. Uh, so that kind of triggered me trying to make this a bigger thing so we could try to expose more kids at younger ages to golf and if they didn't stick to it at three four five years old but you give them a good introduction golf's one of those sports that you can play well probably one of the only sports that you can play until you know you're dead and buried six feet under and you can't say that about other sports so if you give a kid a really solid introduction even if they don't play you know, into their teens, it is something they will gravitate back towards 
when they become older or as they get into business. It's a wonderful sport for business. So that's that was some of the underlying reasons. I left Winter Park, the course I was at as the head pro after 13 years, I just quit. I said, I'm done, I'm gonna go pursue this even more because we felt like there was just that much of a need to expose kids to the sport. Well, so going back then to the, you know, getting this off the ground, obviously, and you mentioned you had some early conversations, you know, catching up with Annika was was solid and, and her husband and, you know, gotten some traction with that. How did you start to think through the fundraising aspect to make yeah. this sustainable? Uh, well, as you know, and anybody that's been in the world of golf or even, even people in the business world that are exposed to the game, golf is probably one of the best fundraising vehicles for anything you do. Uh, any charitable uh, organization uses golf at some point in their year to raise funds. Uh, so that was originally what I was thinking, you know, we're a golf organization, but a lot of, you know, organizations use golf as a tool to, to fundraise, but I wanted to make it a little different. So the first thing that we did from a fundraising uh, aspect is a fellow PGA professional uh, by the name of Casey Borg. Um, he was running a company called uh, PGA Golf Day, which is 100 whole marathons, and he would set up a website and make it all automated. And we really found success in the first couple of years with that, where we would go out and play 100 holes of golf, get pledges per hole. Uh, we would really hype it up through social media. And that's where we started to get some of the, you know, the little bit of a current going with some of the people that are of notoriety in the golf business. Annika was one of the first, uh, her being local, it was kind of much easier ask. Um, honestly, Brian, I don't even remember how those conversations started. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've really been lucky from the standpoint of, because I'm not a grant writer. And w when I pursue some of these grants that I have over the years and look at the very long applications you have to go through, it's kind of intimidating and scary. Uh, but we've been fortunate, like Jordan Spieth and through his family foundation, he has been absolutely incredible over the last couple of years. And, and you know, we, we've had some struggles. I mean, anybody that's in the nonprofit world, regardless of what your mission is, that fundraising aspect is really, really difficult. And you live and die by that. And you could have success one year and raise lots of money and then it kind of dries up for whatever reason. A lot of times you don't even know why it dries up that next year. So, but uh, for example, Jordan, it was tough last year. He, we got a little bit of money, uh, but I, that now I know that was because his organization was growing and he was getting a lot of people that were asking for support. And we had a call with them uh, about two months ago, which blew my mind, but they, they, uh, are donating 50,000 this year to us. So that was that one thing my board kept talking about with me is you have to get out in front of these people. You can't be afraid to make the ask. You have to have a compelling story. That's a really big part of it. Um, and I was always a little bit hesitant about, about making that big ask. Um, but they said, just be honest. My board, uh, when I say they, just be honest, tell them the, tell them the stories of what you're trying to do. And and uh, that really came through big for us this year with, with Jordan. 
Yeah, that's incredible to have that that backing there. Yeah. Um, I, I want to take a pause for a second. I want to go back sure. to something I failed to ask earlier, but maybe valuable for folks listening on that nonprofit route. You mentioned kind of being a subordinate of the AU. Yeah. Is how did you come across that, or is that something common? that other folks can look at or is that specific to athletics i'm assuming or specific, is like yeah. is there stuff in other realms that you would think of like i don't know I, i'm just curious generally i would think is oh i'm gonna set up, you know set up a nonprofit. i'm gonna go do a 501c3 just go yep. through the secretary of state or whatever yep. and then yep. yeah that's the, that's the typical route you would just go through through your state and national government to get everything set up with the IRS and get your determination is, is a nonprofit. Um, but it's like a lot of things with me. Uh, I've always been a big believer in uh, trying to connect with as many people as possible. I'm huge on LinkedIn. I really believe you don't know when you may need somebody that you meet further down the road. Uh, and how we stumbled upon AAU was the fellow PGA professional, retired PGA professional, Hal Yoss, that lives in Tampa. Um, Hal works for the AAU. Uh, I just happened to be talking to him at a PGA section meeting about what we're trying to do. And he was explaining to me how a lot of nonprofit sports, youth sports organizations uh, do go this route with the AAU. And, and there's a lot of benefits to it. So we went and had a meeting their headquarters are over by Disney. Uh, my wife and I went over and had a meeting with Hal and he introduced us to their executive director and we went through the whole process. And my wife being in finance, uh, financial planning, taxes, uh, she said, we're going this route because it's a lot more simpler to fall under that designation as a subordinate, but you have your own entity is, is like any other not 501c3 nonprofit. You're just falling under a, a, a group plan. You mentioned about obviously Jordan Spieth and, and, you know, you mentioned Annika and, and having some of these, you know, well-known names being, you know, kind of attached right to your mission, being a part of it. I think one of the great things you did, I'll give you some props on this is the peewee golf swing. Oh yeah. Because I think that, I mean, cause you think about that was, when did you start that? Was that right around the, the last it's decade? This is our 10th year. This, this yeah. uh, go around now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think for, for folks over down there, I'll let you explain what that is, but like, I think that's a phenomenal thing that you did because it started to give exposure yeah. and it was something cool that parents could do with their kids and submit those in. And I remember being at the PJ show, like watching the videos and like yeah. you were doing some of that stuff. I'll let you explain what that is. And, and I'm curious how you came up with the idea. Why, why you decided to go forward with that? Again, it's it's all mission based, and and there was a lot of naysayers, not just outside of the golf business, but a lot of naysayers within the golf business that didn't agree with myself, and you know the the few outliers that really thought you could start teaching kids at these young ages of three, four. My my uh, fellow uh, colleague uh, Nicole Weller, she works for U.S. Kids Golf now, but she's starting kids at two years old. So she knows, and, and there's a Kate Tempesta up in, in New York City. They know, but we're still outliers 10 plus years later. So I thought, what can I do? What's something I can do on a very broad scale to get people to see that kids have the aptitude for understanding, maybe not fully understanding, but understanding how this whole thing works and how to swing a golf club at three, four years old. 
Uh, so I said, let's do a swing contest. And at the time we were, we were partnered up with a company called the Littles Golfer. And he goes, that, the Chris Wilson, who's the CEO of that, he goes, that would be cool. So we partnered up with him and he goes, ah, we should get some celebrity judges. I said, yeah, I'll ask Hall of Famers. And I did. I asked Annika and she said, yes, she was one of our first judges that first year. And now we fast forward 10 years into it and she's a judge again this year. So what came out of that contest and we broke it down by age groups of under three, which is the coolest age group to me, uh, three to four, five to six, seven to eight. And now we've expanded it up to 12 over the last couple of years. We've done that. And once you start to see those videos coming in, first we started from best PVG golf swing in the United States, then North America. And now the last six years, it's been in the world. And we're getting videos from kids all over the world, you know, as, as young as a year and a half, which is ridiculous if you think about it. But it may not be textbook. And that's not what this contest is about. It might be a textbook swing, but it just proves that kids have the capacity for playing this game and, and not just playing this game, but some can excel. Uh, and I think over the years it has helped with that mission that I have of trying to let people understand that this is a game you can start kids at at very young ages. Well, and, and you've had some other big names that have been involved in that, right? I mean, you know, I think Jack Nicholas is involved. Wasn't he involved? Jack, Jack's a judge this year. This is okay. his fourth year. We've had Gary Player. We've had, uh, we've had Michelle Wee. We've had Lydia Ko. Uh, Jordan Spieth's a judge this year. He's been a past judge. Um, we've had quite a few LPGA and PGA Tour uh, players uh, as judge, and not just not just those guys, uh, a lot of uh, top LPGA uh, and, and PGA instructors, Hank Haney, Jim McLean. Um, so, you know, it, it has caught some fire. Well, and the reason I mentioned that is, you know, because sometimes this comes up a lot in this podcast is the whole like, you know, people can easily say, well, yeah, Brendan, I mean, he got lucky. He's got these big names. And obviously that's, you know, you know, getting the word out and stuff. I look at it from a different perspective of if you didn't, have this idea to start it in the first place, if you didn't have the idea to put it together, put the, again, that mission, that drive behind it, um, and then reach out and ask, right? Most people are scared to ask. The, the, you could have, you know, Anna could have, could have said like, heck no, I don't want to do that. You know, like yeah. she yeah. wouldn't have, she's, she's like a very sweet lady, but um, you know what I'm saying? But the, the fact is you asked, you were willing to get a no, but you got a few yeses and ultimately yeah. that's what spawned, you know, now 10 years later. So you can look back at that and say, well, if I didn't put the time in and have that idea. So I guess my long roundabout way to, of asking is how important has, as you, as you mentioned earlier, kind of differentiating um, yeah. trying something different, even though it maybe it wasn't widely accepted, how, how much of an impact has that had on, on the uh, organization? Definitely you, anything you do in business, uh, in, at least in my opinion, and, and I never make any claims it's going to be easy once you find it, is you got to come up with some kind of niche, something that's just, like you said, differentiates yourself from, from the average, you know, the things that everybody are doing. And that's not downplaying the folks that are out there teaching and doing things the way thousands of people teach and, and coach. It's just, for me at least, finding something that was a little bit different was important. 
uh, to not run with the pack. Now, with that said, and this is something I was thinking about while you were asking that question is, I've always played it safe up until I quit my job at Winter Park to pursue this. And that kind of stemmed from a conversation, I, a gentleman by the name of Craig Can that used to work for the Golf Channel. And now he does a lot of uh, coaching folks how, how to how to talk in front of uh, big audiences and do TV appearances. And I had, you know, an hour chat with him one day and he kind of pushed me to, to, you know, get out of your comfort zone. And I, I, that's something I preach all the time now. When I, when I was teaching at the Golf Academy of America uh, and was in the career development department, I would be nonstop telling people, you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to do things that you haven't done before and not be afraid of falling on your face or failing or having bad things happen because nothing good's going to come out of playing everything safe all the time. So I make the ask if, if I want to ask Tiger Woods and I've done this to, uh, to be part of our contest or for a donation, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, you know, I've gotten a signed flag from him that got me about $1,500 in a charity auction, but you can't be afraid to, uh, approach people and I'm still not the best at it, but I've gotten better over the years uh, because we're, we're all just people, you know, and it, it doesn't make a difference if someone's a Bill Gates or a Brendan Elliott or whoever we're, we're, we all have a desire to pursue things that we love, pursue passions that we have. Uh, and I think if you can tell a story, compelling story about why you do the things that you do, you can connect with anybody. If you could have a mulligan though, yeah. on, <laughs> on the business, on the organization, anything you would, you would change or anything you would, you know, you would try over again, maybe that you, you messed up on or you missed the, you know, missed the boat on. Uh, probably the biggest thing that if I could do it again was, the understanding that I have now this far into it, we're actually in year 12 now, um, of not being afraid. And, and, and I'll backtrack a little bit. I've dealt with crazy anxiety my whole life. So doing public speaking or going on the golf channel, things that I've done and done many times is not something I'm comfortable with. So if I could have learned that earlier on like in the first couple years to get comfortable with the things that are uncomfortable, I think that could have progressed us a little bit quicker. Um, but no regrets, obviously no regrets. It just, you know, that's just a, a personality trait that I have to kind of wrestle with as, as I've evolved over the years. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something, you know, as you go through those struggles or at least, you know, trying to figure out, you know, and, yeah. and I think that's part of the journey, right. Is you're learning. Oh, yeah. You know, if you were the same as you were 12 years ago, chances are we may not be talking. You'd be doing something totally yeah. different, right? But yeah. it's that you kept evolving and changing as a person. And, and ultimately, you've changed with the times as well to, to make things better. And Brian, just the, just the sidebar to that is I just think too many people get to a point where if things become difficult, they stop and they give up. And you can't. Resiliency is probably one of the most important traits that anybody can have to being successful in whatever endeavor they, they take part in. Yeah. 
So what other ways are you trying to, you know, because obviously we've been talking a lot about from a nonprofit standpoint, right? Yeah. And getting the name out there and you're podcasting too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Having some fun with that. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but it, it's, it's fun talking to people and sharing stories. And, and again, I think that's a common thread that people have is just being able to share their stories, hear other people's stories. And I, I just think this medium of voice, which is kind of thought of as old school, I think it's still pretty solid today to, to use this type of medium to, to spread your message or just chat with other people and see what they're doing and how they're successful. Can you plug the show and tell folks what it's about? Love of the Links uh, Golf Radio. It's, I know, so I'm on your podcast right now and you just do voice, right? You just, you, you stream out to the different podcast channels, correct? That's, yep, that's exactly right. So that's what we originally started with. But then I got into this uh, recording it on Zoom like we are right now. And I'm like, wow, this video stuff would be cool too. And, and obviously there's a lot of podcasters that do both. You know, I'm a big Joe Rogan guy and there's a lot of good ones out there and they do both. Um, so so we've done, we've done both. And up until, let's see, we started December of 18. We had, we had a good run until the spring of 19. And then it kind of came into a halt. And then I revived it in like October of 19. I got a new co-host, uh, PGA professional, Bob Aldessari. And then we started going with guests, kind of like what you, we do with yours. And getting the guests on was fun. So I'm trying different things now. The podcast is more meant for the consumer. That's what it always was, uh, the golf consumer. So to give them some content, uh, give them a glimpse inside our world is, is uh, folks working in the industry. And then we've spun off into, uh, you know, I'm working uh, with uh, Bob Baldessari, my co-host, and Randy Cavanaugh, his partner with the management company they just opened up called Reimagine Golf. And an arm of their company is education, educating folks in the industry, uh, PGA professionals, non-professionals. Uh, so that's more industry-based. So we started uh, a thing what we call Reimagine Conversations, which is more geared towards industry so we've got love of the links podcast which is more consumer based and then uh conversations which is more industry based and and it's all in the same vein you're just you're just trying to share stories and bring people on to tell their stories and uh i think it's very useful for everybody involved so what are y'all excited about going forward with the little linksters uh strange times right now um well sure yes of course. <laughs> well, here's but, how, but let me ask you this though. Let me, I'll, I'll, I'll call off my own question and ask another okay. one. What, uh, how are you strategically, you know, and, and obviously this is a tough time for a lot of people, but how has yeah. this helped you be more creative or be innovative? So one of the big things, the first week and a half, two weeks that we're in lockdown. Uh, and when I decided to stop doing in-person lessons, uh, we do some, you know, digital stuff sporadically at the beginning uh, of lockdown. I was on the couch, like a lot of people watching a lot of Netflix. And I'm like, this is not productive. Uh, you got to use this time, you know, crappy situation, but you got to use the time. So I've done a ton of online certifications, you know, PGA.coach and uh, Positive Coaching Alliance and some instructional ones. 
I'm just trying to make myself better right now to be a better instructor and better business person. But one of the spinoffs, and this was kind of through the podcast with some of the guests that I've been trying to get, a lot of technology-based things like V1 and some of the new products that V1 have. Uh, there's a really cool, um, very economical at $500. Uh, well, I'll show, you, I'll show you. I know this is on, on video, but it's called Repsoto. It's a launch monitor that's hmm. 500 bucks, And they partnered with... Uh, Golf Digest, and they've got a lot of momentum with some new uh, apps and products they're coming out with. I just talked to their uh, general manager of North America on a podcast on Friday night, and this technology thing has always been in the back of my mind. Uh, I've always been an early adopter with technology, but I'm trying to really dive into that because what I see coming out of this COVID-19, once things start to halfway get back to normal, which Honestly, I don't think they'll ever get back to the norm that was pre-COVID. I think the state of coaching is going to be totally different. And I think that this time for those that have kind of used the time to, to get better and dive into different ways of doing things, I think this is going to be how people coach. It's going to be a lot of remote coaching because of technology. You don't have to be face-to-face -face with your students to be effective, Um and, you know, this technology like Rapsodo and some of the other stuff that's out there, Dragonfly Golf, I talked to those guys on, on Saturday, it's 3D, it's a wearable suit, 3D motion, 360 degree view, it's just wild, the capabilities that you have now, but to be able to commute with, or communicate with your students and not have to be right there with them. So that's just a glimpse of some of the stuff I've been trying to figure out. How do I incorporate that? Sure, it's easy with my private lessons through my academy, but how do we then take that next step and incorporate this type of stuff through our nonprofit and our group programming? Um, I've always believed that kids, even as young as three, four, five years old, have a way better grasp on technology. I mean, you throw a tablet in a two, three-year-old's hand and they're on their swipe in and watching videos. So I don't think it's far-fetched to use technology uh, with super young kids. So that's kind of where I'm at as a result of the current situation that we all find ourselves in. And have you been able to stay engaged with a lot of your students? I don't know if it's just through email or texting or whatever. Like, have you, I don't know how good you did that before, like newsletters or not. I'm just more curious of, of how you try to stay engaged because when we do come out of this, obviously you want to you want to have that lesson book filled up, right? You want to help people oh, yeah. even further. Just kind of curious how you decided to do it. So I, we've always used things like Coach Now. We still use Coach Now. It's a great platform. Uh, V1 sharing, just sharing video back and forth through text messages. And and I, I, I got to say that through my academy and the private lessons that I do, that's more older kids. Uh, the, the nonprofit stuff is more based in the younger kids and special needs, that type of thing. Um, but with the private coaching, I've always used the technology, but now I'm just trying to ramp it up a little bit more where it's interesting. Cause I just had to send a message out to my students and their families about, you know, they know about all the stuff that I've been working on and trying to create new ways of working with each other. Um, there's been, I wouldn't call it resistance. I just think everybody's kind of in this weird spot right now. Um, kids not being able to finish the school year out. Um, at school with their friends. I think it's been a hard adjustment, especially I look at my own kids. It's been a 
my, my daughter's already homeschooled, but she's a dancer and she was always at the studio. So not being able to be there socially and interacting with her friends face to face, even though she's still doing it, you know, through, through technology, I, I think it's something we're going to struggle with coming out of this is how this is all affecting kids. I think a lot of times we think they're super resilient and, and though maybe they are in some respects, but in other respects, this is, this is difficult. And so, you know, there's a lot we can take with the current situation for good or bad. Um, but I'm trying to focus on the positive of how we can use technology and things that were already, you know, kind of going to be there eventually, but this has kind of forced us into using these types of things a little bit quicker than, than uh, probably it had been, you know, the timeline would have been under normal circumstances. Well, so as we kind of wrap up here, I'm kind of curious, and you've obviously talked a little bit about kind of overcoming that fear and, yeah. and ultimately, you know, t- jumping outside your comfort zone and those type of things. Is there any other, you know, sprinkle of inspiration? Maybe it's a quote you live by, or I don't know, something that's been really impactful for you, maybe a mentor shared with you that, you know, you kind of take and put it in your back pocket to pull out when you need that would be helpful for other folks that are kind of getting on their own journey or, you know, maybe trying to get out of their own way to, to move forward. Um, I love Gary Vanderchuk and I'm not going to repeat some of the stuff <laughs> that he says, cause I'm sure your show is a little bit more PG, uh, than, than how he talks about stuff. But I think you said it best when you said, get out of your own way. I mean, so many times people are far more capable of accomplishing things than they would ever give themselves credit for. And I, I fell on that for, for many, many years. I didn't think I was capable of becoming a PGA member. I mean, I was on the what we used to affectionately call the PAT tour back in the day, where I took multiple PATs in order to get my, um, my player ability test out of the way and start the program. But that resilience, I always go back to that. You just, you can't be afraid of failing. And if you look at anybody, and I know it's kind of cliche sometimes if you think about this, but if you look at anybody that's had any type of success, there's always a backstory of falling on their face and, and tripping and falling and getting back up. Um, and I, I think that says a lot about people's character, but it also says a lot about uh, the road to success for anybody is you just can't be afraid of failure. Failure is your friend. You got to embrace it and and move on and learn from it and be better. Yeah, great point. Glad to well, let's put an exclamation point on that. Actually, that's yeah, for sure. <laughs> and remind everyone where they can find you online. Everything will be in the show notes. But if you just want to uh, okay. mention the best ways to get in touch with you, uh, littlelinksters.com. That really gives a good. Uh, good blueprint of everything that we do, whether it's like you had mentioned the swing contest or uh, tournament golf. I'm actually, that's something I forgot to mention too. I'm a, I, we had done tournaments through little linksters, uh, but we just flipped the script this past year, bad timing, I guess with COVID-19, but uh, fellow PGA professional Vince Burbank and I started what we called the junior tour. Uh, but information on everything we do, including that partnership with Vince with the junior tour can be found at littlelinksters.com. I'm huge in the LinkedIn. So if you want to just look up Brendan Elliott uh, on LinkedIn, uh, social media, it would be little at little linksters on 
Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, or email Brendan Elliott at PGA.com. Brendan, this is a pleasure, man. Thanks for joining. Thanks for sharing your story. Love talking to you, man. Good luck. Well, thanks again to Brendan for being on this episode and hope you guys enjoyed that one. I wanted to go deeper into one thing that he had mentioned a couple times during the episode, and that was about his mission. And it's something, if you guys have listened through some other episodes, you may have heard me talk about what I call the North Star. And it's something that you know I kind of came up with probably about a year or two ago. Um, and it's different than goals. You know, one of the things that growing up, I was always told like, hey, you got to have goals. You got to set goals for the future. You know, what's your five and 10 and 20 year goals? And for me, that always felt like I'm putting a flag in the ground, you know, in 10 years and saying, I want to be X or I want to be there. And I've always felt a challenge with that. I'm curious of everyone else's thoughts out there where I may not know in 10 years. I mean, I look at where I was 10 years ago. And I'm doing nothing that I'm doing today. I mean, totally different. So it's incredible to think that in 10 years, I'm going to really know what I'm actually going to be physically doing, right? If I'm even on this earth. So for me, what I've developed is the North Star. And to touch on Brendan's mission there that he has obviously impacting a lot of junior golfers and special needs kids and those type of things, I think is a phenomenal mission. And there's a variety of ways that he could do that. So, from you know, I talk a lot about my North Star being, you know, helping the next generation um, of our society being able to have better self-discovery earlier on. So, better understanding their health and wellness, and you know how they think, different ways that they can approach things versus what I had when I was a kid. And that's my North Star. And what it helps me to do is have that guiding light in the in the distance. That's why I call it the North Star. You're never going to actually reach it, but it helps you navigate decisions. It helps you kind of figure out, you know, is this the right path or not? You're never always going to know until later on, but at least it can feel a little bit more right. Instead of making decisions based on, okay, I'm getting paid more money there, so I'm going to go to this company or whatever. So it helps me a lot make decisions on, do I do that project or another project? Or, hey, should I sign up uh, for that specific training? Or should I go help out here because it's going to help me get more experience for that? And it just, it allows me to compartmentalize a little bit more, if that's making sense. So for I would encourage everyone out there, if you haven't done this, there's two kind of approaches. First is, I always look back at childhood. I think childhood is such a big indicator for many of us. It's when we are most vulnerable and impressionable. And I think if you look back at your childhood, let's say pre-15, if you will, and if you can remember some of those stories, those times, the interactions you had, what made you come alive? What were the things that you remember the most, the emotions? If that's step one for you, if you could do that, then step two is going to be, currently how you are what gets you up in the morning what what do you love to do what are things that you know kind of make you, you know, again your eyes kind of go wide that excites you and you could mesh those together it's amazing um, how you can create that north star for yourself 
I'm not going to go too deep today because I can talk for probably hours on this. I love talking about this topic because it's really helped me shape who I am and where I want to make an impact on the world. And I believe if you go through those exercises and really think through, it's going to help you do that as well. So again, as a final point, try to look at that North Star in the distance. Try to discover what yours is. What is your mission in this world versus just a goal of, you know, putting a flag in the ground. I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals, but having one so far in the distance that it just doesn't make sense, it's better to go about it a different way, at least I feel. So wanted to throw that in a little bit at the end. Hopefully that's helpful uh, for some folks out there, again, kind of on your own journey, trying to figure out life just like I am. Again, always love to connect. If you guys want my website, brianandraco.com. Go, you know, throw a 15 minute. There's a there's a drop down in the contact page. 15 minute call. Love to connect with you guys even further, and figure out what you're doing in this world. Um, connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Brian and Draco. LinkedIn, you know, Brian and Draco. You can just type in. So a lot of different areas connect online, and I look forward to doing it. Hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.